coming up on Philosophy Talk. I'm old and I'm not happy. Dangerous demographics, the challenges of an aging population. When I get older, losing my head many years from now. 30 extra years of life on average for people living in the developed world. We've got a great opportunity. Can an aging population remain productive and competitive? Isn't the world's problem too much productivity? Well, now you're onto something we should all really worry about. Our guest is Laura Carsonson, director of the Stanford Center on Longevity. How can we deal with having a lot of frail, disabled people? Because that's the real issue. And when we say age, that's the problem, and we've got to fix that. Oh, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Dangerous demographics, the challenges of an aging population. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the Buck Institute for Research on Aging as part of the Bay Area Science Festival. Our thinking originates at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford University campus. That's where Ken and I have been teaching philosophy for a long time long, and in my case, long, long time. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Today, dangerous demographics, challenges of an aging population. Well, in many countries around the world, people are living longer. At the same time, birth rates are declining, sometimes rapidly. The result, of course, more old people, fewer younger people. That's, that's right, John. Take Japan. It has one of the world's lowest birth rates. Combine that with the world's highest average life expectancy, and the result is a population that is both rapidly shrinking and rapidly aging at the same time. Now, that is a dangerous demographic. Yeah, but if Japan was just a little more open to immigration, like Germany is, they wouldn't have any problems. I mean, Germany's population is aging, just like Japan is, and shrinking, but it's shrinking much more slowly thanks to immigration. Immigration, that's a big deal. That brings to mind the U.S. situation. We have a low birth rate combined with increasing longevity, but thanks to a huge influx of immigrants, our population is actually expanding, and expanding pretty rapidly. Now, it's also becoming more ethnically stratified in the process, with the young being much, much more ethnically diverse than the old. And, and frankly, some people find that a very dangerous demographic. Yeah, but those people are idiots. I mean, they just have irrational fears about ethnic diversity, which is a great thing. And frankly, Ken, fears about the aging of America seem to me pretty much the same thing driven by myths and prejudice about us old people. People act as if old people are a burden who take more than they give and are mostly sick and soaking up expensive care that young people have to pay for. I didn't say any of that. Oh, ageist crap, you're repeating ageist nonsense. People aren't just living longer, they're staying healthy and productive. They're a great asset to society. Haven't you heard? 70 is the new 50. It's not dangerous to have all these old people, it's beneficial. They're healthy, they're productive, 
Old people commit fewer crimes, they don't crowd our prisons, which are very expensive, and they spend time with their grandchildren, and God knows their parents don't. So what's dangerous about Calm that? Come down, John. Come down. Look, these worries aren't necessarily ageist. They're real. They're real, John. Think about Social Security or, or Medicare or even the Affordable Care Act. Now, each of these things rest on an intergenerational compact. I mean, people have to be willing to pay into the system beginning when they're young, continuing through their working years, then drawing the greatest benefits only when they're older and retired. Well, those intergenerational compacts, as you call them, are darn good things. Not just for the old, but for the young, too. Uh, I mean, for the old, they do provide a, a measure of retirement security and access to decent medical care. But take my Social Security, it comes to me, and about 10 minutes later, it goes to pay the tuition of one of my grandchildren. It's just a conduit from, I'm just a conduit from the government to the young. And, and young people don't have to worry about their parents that are sharing that with other people, and they have the reasonable expectation of that Social Security in their own future. Okay, I, I totally agree with that. And look, I don't deny that. I don't see how you could possibly have a stable society without having intergenerational compacts in place. I don't well, that's very reasonable of you, Ken, but when I hear this phrase, dangerous demographics, I just think of right-wing Tea Party people that think that Social Security is some kind of Ponzi scheme in which old people are ripping off the young, and I get ever so slightly annoyed. I, I hear you, John, I really do, but look, the philosophical question is about what the old owe to the young and what the young owe to the old in return. And then there's a the deep question of how should that calculation change as the ratio of old to young changes so radically in the way it's doing in our society. Well, maybe I can get my mind around what's worrying you if I think of it like this. Uh, philosophy's business is to create new models and ways of, of looking at things as the old ones don't work so well. Now, people are living longer, and the shape of life is changing, and philosophy should help us understand and deal with this change. Used to be, retire early, 10 or 15 years of leisure, and then go gently into that good night, as we say. But that model doesn't, admittedly, make much sense when people can be healthy and productive into their 80s and 90s. Yeah, you think you should work yourself to the bone until you're 75 or 80, is that what you're saying? Uh, that's neither my practice nor what I preach. <laughs> I'm just saying that if people are really going to be living healthy, functional lives well into their 90s or even beyond, we probably do need to develop different models of life and philosophy has a role there to play there. There you go, John. Now you're getting into the swing of things. I, I like that. And to help us learn more about the evolution of old age, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, in search of people who are not only trying to live longer, they're trying to live forever. She files this report. Thousands of years ago, old people didn't really exist. Our ancestors died after several decades from infection, starvation, predators, or exposure to the elements. Today, we've largely conquered those external forces. And in the past few hundred years, life expectancy has doubled. So the concept of old age is pretty new. And the concept of declining health span, living the last 10 years or so or more sometimes of your life in poor health, is also pretty new. 
Judith Campisi is a professor at the Buck Institute for Research on Aging. She studies aging at the molecular level, and she says once scientists fully understand how our bodies break down as they age, we may be able to slow the breakdown. And while that might not extend life, it would certainly extend health. And the idea would be to allow those last 10 years of life not to be disabled, but to be healthy and, you know, die on the tennis court at 105 while you're winning. Since old age is a relatively new thing, evolution hasn't figured out a way to keep us alive and healthy past about 100. I think if we wait another few hundred thousand years or a million years or so, probably humans will evolve longer, healthier lifespans. But um, I don't think we want to wait that long. There are a lot of people who don't want to wait that long. A pair of documentary filmmakers spent the last three years following around a couple of biologists who want to cure aging. Here's biogerontologist Aubrey de Grey. We're interested not in slowing aging down, but in actually reversing it, turning back the biological clock. The future that we're talking about here, this is not science fiction. What could possibly motivate someone to want to live 150, 500, or 1,000 years? DeGray sees aging as a humanitarian crisis, a sort of disease that kills people slowly and painfully. One argument that people have against uh, the idea of living for hundreds of years is they say that's not natural. What's natural is to get old and die. Filmmaker David Alvarado. Really, it's not natural to get old and die. What's, what's natural is to get mauled by a saber-toothed tiger when you're 30 years old. It's my personal opinion that just because something is natural does not mean that it is therefore good. While the scientists in the film take an extreme view, many in their field acknowledge it may be scientifically possible to extend life a really long time. Filmmaker Jason Susberg says one of the biologists he followed believes humans don't need nature to help them adapt anymore. We don't need nature to evolve anymore. We can actually, as human beings, choose our own evolution. But even if we could figure out a way to live forever, or at least a really long time, do we deserve to? There are already 7 billion people on this planet. Who gets to stick around for hundreds of years? And who dies young? Once humans have this godlike power, you know, what will we do with that and who will we hurt? Toward the end of the film, scientist Aubrey de Grey's mother dies. He travels to England to sell her house, and he uses the money for his research. If my mother had been healthy enough to benefit from these future therapies, then she would very much have wanted to, um, to benefit from them. She had definitely not run out of things that she wanted to do in her life by any means. So I'm all that's left of my family. Life is pointless unless we are surrounded by our loved ones. Um, I, I totally agree with that. Again, Jason Sussberg. I was thinking back in like the 80s, like what, what must have been so lonely to be the only guy with like a fax machine? Who are you faxing it to? Um, I think that the first wave of any new technology is going to seem lonely. But Sussberg says in time, our kids, our grandkids, and our great-grandkids will grow older too. And maybe we won't be so alone. Maybe we'll be surrounded by friends and family we can share our long lives with. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.